You're listening to Smith Talk with Keith Smith. That would be me, free-thinking American educator, bringing you conservative commentary and analysis on the news of the moment, along with life advice and random facts. Currently, I teach civics and economics to high school seniors. I am a U.S. military veteran, active duty Air Force, Army National Guard, and Air Force Reserve. Thanks for listening. Welcome to this episode of Smith Talk. Thanks for listening. There's been a lot going on the last few weeks. I've been busy. Among other things, uh, ran for public office. And I'll tell you about that before this episode is over. Happy to say that it's looking good with the vote count. Although, being California, we're still not done counting votes. And uh, again, it was a local election. But a lot of talk going on this last week. A lot of hype uh, in the last few weeks leading up to these elections talk about a red wave, which looked like, I mean, I, I bought into it. I thought it looked like that was a, a likely scenario, not a hundred percent, but, uh, so we're going to kind of do a little postmortem here on what happened in the elections. There's a lot of, you know, you turn on the news if you watch that and there's all kinds of punditry and analysis going on out there. And some of it, you know, some of it makes sense. And there's a lot of it that's just plain stupid. And I'm going to go with plain stupid first here. This has to be one of the, f- stupidest, most asinine things that I've heard anybody say about the Tuesday, last Tuesday's election. What I'm going to play for you here, this is Ben Collins. He's a a, uh, senior reporter on NBC News a day after the election, and he was on um, MSNBC's uh, Katie Turd Reports. Sorry, I misspoke. Katie Turd Reports talking about why the Republican candidates, specifically Trump-endorsed Republican candidates, appeared to have underperformed in this election. So I'm going to go ahead and roll what he says here, and then we'll break it down or give some commentary on it. Regardless, yeah. um, what about the rest of the uh, the dark interwebs that you look through? Anything concerning that you're saying? Yeah, look, there's a large portion. So like uh, the people who planned the insurrection still have their form. And they gave up on democracy a long time ago. And they, by the way, we should have factored this in a little bit more before the, before people started voting, I think. There is a large section of the Trump base that simply does not want to vote anymore. They just want to get violent. Um, and maybe those people didn't show up. Ben Collins, it's good to have you on. So there you have it. Uh, many of uh, the Trump base, many of those in the Trump base simply uh, didn't show up to vote. And that's uh, his, you know, this is the day after the election Wednesday. Maybe, maybe this is why they didn't do so well. They just want to get violent. The insurrectionists, those violent insurrectionists. And, you know, we have the the president out there demonizing and demagoguing and, and talking about how democracy is under assault and under threat. And these being the good little propagandists, useful idiots that they are, they regurgitate that they wait to get their talking points. And so this guy does, uh, you know, he does his duty with that, but it's laughable. They just want to get violent. MAGA Republicans want to get violent. You mean like the Democrats have been doing since 2016? How about we talk about BLM and those riots that caused billions of dollars, hundreds of millions of dollars worth of damage in the United States leading up to the 2020 election because people were ticked off. How about Antifa burning down Portland, Oregon and other places getting in the middle of those BLM riots because they didn't get their way? How about Russia, Russia, Russia. Oh, Russia stole the 2016 election and the attempted insurrection for four years against a sitting president. 
in which it's proven that the FBI spied on the sitting president, on his campaign, individuals that worked for him, knowingly lied, used unverified information, information that they later knew was false, patently false, to get a foreign intelligence surveillance warrant to spy on the president's campaign. And, and then allowed that to be published in the media, knowing that it was false, and allowed this story to go, and then attacked him over it for four years and whipped and, and ginned up all kinds of anti-Trump sentiment and frenzy amongst those on just throwing fuel onto the orange man bad fire there for the last several years. This is absolutely laughable. And that's got to be, I think, quite possibly the stupidest thing I've heard anybody say about the election the last over the last several days. But there's been a lot. It's almost like the circular firing squad is all lined up and people are starting to shoot. You've got President Trump out there taking some shots at DeSantis, who who uh, very wisely has not really responded to that. You've got others out there. You got Mitch McConnell, the Senate Minority Leader, and the you know leader of the Republicans in the Senate out there, just kind of sitting on the side, smugly and and saying it privately in private circles or reporting, "Oh, this is you know this is Trump's fault. This is tr you see the establishment Republicans are headhunting for Trump. You go." And you read wherever they, whatever fish wrap is printing what they say, and you can you can smell them out very very quickly, and trying to lay blame at the feet of Donald Trump. And this goes all the way back to August. I'll tell you what I think about this. This goes back to August. Just a few months ago, you had Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell. By the way, Mitch McConnell. Let, let me just say this about Mitch McConnell, Majority Leader. He's a Republican, been in the Senate from Kentucky since 1985. The guy is a fossil. He's in his 80s. He's been in the Senate for 37 years. And he his term ends in 2027. And, and he says uh, that he's going to run again. He makes almost $200,000 a year. He has a net worth of almost $23 million. There's no reason for this guy to be in the Senate anymore other than he loves power and that's it. You see the Nancy Pelosi's. And the Mitch McConnells, they're all cut from the same bolt of cloth. Yes, he votes opposite from her most of the time. But then he goes and he does things like allow Biden to push through, allow the Dem, instead of fighting it, allows them to get things pushed through, never articulates anything as far as a nationwide push or, or message from the Republican, just sat on the side and did nothing. And now he's out there. Uh, saying this is Trump's fault, but you go back to August. He started to say some things at that time that kind of, if, if we remember back, and I've got an article up in front of me right here from August, and it says, I'm, I'm going to quote here, there was a lack of candidate quality. Senate races are different. They're statewide. Candidate quality has a lot to do with outcome. Let me translate that for you. I don't like Trump-endorsed candidates and therefore, I'm going to sit back on the side and pray that they lose and undermine them however I can, like withholding funds, their, their super PACs, and that money that he controls and not using it, not spending it on cases or on or giving it and helping out candidates that were endorsed by Donald Trump. And that's exactly what he did. He sat on the side and he withheld funding and did not help these candidates that were endorsed by Donald Trump. And it was... I. I believe it was absolutely calculated and a very shrewd way for Mitch McConnell to be able to turn this into a 
uh, referendum, if you will, on Donald Trump now and say, well, this was, you know, he endorsed all these candidates and it's his fault. It's his, the, uh, Trump is too radical. He's too crazy. He's a bull in a China, bull in a China shop and all this, but is Trump not traditional? Is he, uh, what people would say, unpresidential? Did he rub people the wrong way? Yes, but he accomplished more than any Republican president, any conservative president in my lifetime, aside from Ronald Reagan. And in many ways, he got more done than Ronald Reagan because for a period of two years, he actually had a Republican Congress to work with, unlike Reagan. Reagan never did and uh, was able to accomplish quite a bit. And and Trump, and, and on the uh, diplomatic front, some of the things that he was able to do with uh, with global relations between countries and things like that. You look at the Abraham Accords and stuff like that, and absolutely amazing things that he did. He was he made the Bushes look like they may as well have been Bernie Sanders when it came to governing in a conservative way. Look what he did with the border and shutting it down. The Bushes all the the Bushes secretly loved illegal immigration and would pay it lip service and did never and never did anything about it. But anyway, this uh, Mitch McConnell in a very sneaky way. And a lot of the establishment Republicans are going after Donald Trump. Now is Donald Trump perfect? Did he call out, do all the things, you know, do, make all the right choices and so forth? No, he did not. Of course, uh, no, nobody's hundred percent perfect all the time. Although Trump would probably tell you that he is, uh, he's a stable genius. You don't get to where Donald Trump is at by being stupid, nor do you get to where Mitch McConnell is at by being stupid. Mitch McConnell is in it for other reasons than Donald uh, Trump is. And so all of this hype leading up to the vote about this red wave or this red tsunami that was coming, and then things not going the way that a lot of people hoped it would has uh, set up the establishment for attempting to take down Donald Trump. And it's interesting. You look at who is leading this attack, who's leading the attack on Donald Trump. A lot of them are people who told us, Mitch McConnell aside, who told us that there was going to be a red tsunami, to told us told us to expect it and hyped it up and played it and said a lot of things about it. And then all of a sudden, now they're, they're the ones coming back and blaming, blaming uh, Donald Trump for it. Straight up looking at endorsements and uh, reasons why things failed. So we'll get into Donald Trump's endorsements in a minute. But one of the big reasons why I think the Republicans failed to make further inroads than they did, although they did quite well. They took some parts of New York and turned them red uh, in the in the Carolinas, in Florida. Really, it, it was a red tsunami in some of those places, not nationwide, but it was. Uh, they had a higher tide, you could say. But one of the biggest problems that we had, if you remember 1994, I was just out of high school at this time, um, and they had the Republicans got elected for the first time, took the House of Representatives and they had the contract with America, and they all got on the same page. Uh, Newt Gingrich uh, was the leader at the time. Everybody pitched that message, and we see a lack, general lack of leadership or unity on the Republican side. And there are people like McConnell uh, and others in the establishment who care more about control more about the rule of the establishment, you could say, than they do about really accomplishing things, about really changing things in Washington, D.C. They absolutely failed to make this a referendum, a nationwide referendum on Biden's failed policies, Democrat failed policies, the extremism of the Democrat Party, and some of the things that they have been doing, offering a clear contrast to that. 
with several items, several uh, just a list of what we're going to do. He is at fault. He claims to be leader of the Republicans in the Senate, one of the one of the leading Republicans. I know he sees himself as like the main shot caller. I'm sure he does. And what did he do? Nothing. I didn't see Mitch McConnell out on the campaign trail. I don't remember seeing him anywhere. What I did see was Trump flying from state to state and ev almost every single day holding a campaign rally for a candidate somewhere that drew crowds. Now, people are criticizing Donald Trump saying, well, he didn't spend any of his war chest. Well, of course he didn't spend much of his war chest. He's getting ready to run in 2024. Why would he deplete his war chest making donations to Republicans? He did the next best thing, and that's he went himself. And he held these massive rallies all over the United States that drew every time the guy shows up, he draws thousands of people, thousands, sometimes tens of thousands. Show me the show me the Republican candidate that can do that, besides maybe Governor DeSantis, if he got out on the road, but we don't know because he hasn't. Who knows if the guy even who, who knows if DeSantis even wants to run? Maybe he does, maybe he doesn't. But you see McConnell and his super PAC withholding money from candidates like Blake Masters or Bullduck, Don Bullduck up in New Hampshire. And that, that was a very shrewd, calculated thing to do. Mitch McConnell, if you go to ballotpedia.org, it's a nonprofit, nonpartisan uh, site that just tracks political information. It will tell you who endorsed who when it comes to these, you know, the big name shot callers. Mitch McConnell didn't endorse any. I can't find anywhere that says he endorsed anybody in this last election cycle. What I can to what I can do is I can tell you if you, if you look up, you go to ballotpedia.org slash endorsements underscore by underscore Donald Trump hashtag two, uh, 2022 you'll find this. So again, that's ballotpedia.org slash endorsements underscore by underscore Donald underscore Trump hashtag 2022. You'll find his endorsements or you could just Google it, ballotpedia Trump endorsements 2022 and search it and it'll come up. In this election cycle, going back to the beginning in the primary elections, Donald Trump in endorsed a total of 495 candidates. 241 of those in the primary elections, 254 in the general election, most of those in the Senate House and some and then a lot of statewide offices and some a lot of governor's races and then even a few local uh, races. Not not many of those, only like four of those I think. But most in the House and the Senate, most of them in, in the House of Representatives. And in the primary election cycle, Trump had a 93% success rate in the elections or the candidates that he endorsed 93 percent of them won their primary election now in the general election they're not done counting there are still um i think it's 20 as of today 22 23 house seats that are up in the air he is sitting at an 80 percent success rate now i pulled up the numbers myself and did some counting here i've got pulled up my clipboard dangerous thing i'm doing math so there were 143 house races and this is out of uh, 300, uh, this is out of 435 House races. So there were 435 seats in House of Representatives, all of them up for election. Donald Trump made endorsements in 143 of those races. So far, only 12 of those that he endorsed have lost. That's a 92% general election success rate in his endorsements for the House of Representatives. So don't come back to me 
and say that Donald Trump didn't do his part and this is his fault, that there was no red wave because Donald Trump endorsed this candidate or gave us poor candidates, Mitch McConnell or anybody else. You did nothing. You did nothing but sabotage and sit on the side. Is it any wonder that people don't trust you? I don't trust, I, I don't trust Mitch McConnell as far as I could pick that old fart up and toss him. Let's contrast that. Joe Biden, he made some endorsements. He endorsed a total of three primary candidates, success rate of 67%, nine general and general election endorsements. That's this year in 2022, 78% success rate. Uh, let's look at Barack Obama. He didn't endorse anybody in the primary. He made 20 general election endorsements between Senate, House, and governor elections with a 65% success rate thus far. Uh, let's look at um, former, former Vice President Mike Pence. Love Mike Pence. He made a total of nine primary election endorsements with a 78% success rate, 22 general election endorsements with a 41% success rate in the general election and his endorsements, 41%. And people want to lay this at the feet of Donald Trump. Although I did, I, I know Mike uh, Pence went out, he was on the campaign trail and trying to help candidates where he could. Uh, let's go to Crazy Bernie. Of those on the left, Crazy Bernie Sanders has a, a better rate than a success rate than all the rest of them on, on that side, uh, those on the left. So he endorsed 25 candidates in the primaries, 64%. Were successful. He's endorsed 23 candidates in the general election this year with an 83% success rate. So for all the talk about how toxic Donald Trump is, the guy, the dude endorsed 143 house races. And that's in the, that's not counting in the primary. That's just general election endorsements. And so far, all but 12 of them have won. I, I don't think you can lay this at the feet of, of uh, Donald Trump or anybody else. In fact, if you look at the numbers, you go to Wikipedia, you go to Ballotpedia, you look it up, Google it, do a search. House of Representatives, 2022 nationwide popular vote count. And then look up the same thing for the last election in 2020. In 2020... If you look at the nation now, of course, does this count for anything? No. But the Democrats, they love to bring this up. Every time there's an election, you hear them out there talking about, oh, the democracy, the electoral college is, 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 uh, needs to be replaced. It's outdated. It's undemocratic. We got more popular votes. And you'll hear them say from time to time things about that. In fact, I, two years ago, I can remember this being one of the things that was mentioned somewhere. The fact that the Democrat candidates, nationwide House of Representative candidates in 2020 brought in 5 million, just around 5 million more votes than the Republicans did. And of course, they, they won 235 seats in the House. They won a majority. 5 million more votes in 2020 for the Democrats. So far, the Republicans are sitting at nationwide, if you add up all the tallies nationwide, six million more votes than the democrats in this election just in popular vote if you add up the popular vote nationwide that's six million more so they they covered that five million deficit plus another another six million now they're still counting votes in pennsylvania they're still counting votes in california they're still counting votes in arizona could that change yes maybe it's going to be maybe it'll wind up being five million or five and a half million more they came back from a five million vote deficit in 2020 
and then superseded that by another five to six million votes. You look at stuff like this and you look at things that happened in uh, some of these states that are like blue states. Look at New York. Look what like the Republicans winning two seats in Long Island the first time since well, like 1996, 97 or something like that, that that's happened. So um, no, was it, it was not the red tsunami that everybody hyped up. But at the same time, it was not a terrible thing. In fact, if the Republicans get their act together and they do a couple of things differently, they can definitely improve upon this. And we can see in the 2024 election, the Republicans keeping the House, taking the Senate and taking the White House if everything is played correctly, especially with the way the economy is going. The economy is going is not going to get better anytime soon. They can, we continue to have inflation, although they're downplaying those numbers. We continue to see the, the Federal Reserve raising interest rates. We're 31 trillion and counting in debt. And those chickens are coming home to roost over the next two years. We are going to see, we are in a recession right now. And people have their heads, people in, in, in leadership have their heads buried in the sand trying to ignore it. This is the same administration that said inflation was going to be transitory. Well, it wasn't. Uh, they're the same ones trying now telling us, oh, don't worry about the re recession. Is just a it's just a technicality to two quarters of negative growth. Eh, you know, it, was, it wasn't that bad trying to spin it. Well, worse things, I think, are yet to come. And Republicans need to get their act together. They need to get out there over the next two years. And they need to do what Trump has been doing for the last two years. Trump has been campaigning for the last two years. At least once a month, twice a month, he's somewhere at a rally. And then over the last few weeks leading up to this election, like I said, he's been all over the place. People need to look at what Republicans need to look at what he's doing and the model he has set for campaign. It might be worthy of imitation. If the GOP wants to win and win big in 2024, there are a few things that they need to do. A couple of that I've already mentioned. Hopefully we can have uh, some change in leadership, get McConnell out of there. I don't, I don't think that's going to happen, although there are some senators that want to do that. But the Republican Party needs to capitalize on what has happened in this last election over the last two to three years. In fact, going back to, I would say, 2016, you see some trends that are troubling to the Democrats. Under the leadership of Donald Trump, the Republican Party has made inroads in groups of voters, demographics in this country that typically or traditionally over the last 50, 60 years have voted overwhelmingly for Democrat candidates. And the biggest one of those being Hispanic voters. I live, as I've, if you've listened to these podcasts, I live in an area that's majority Hispanic. Southern California, down here close to the border. Uh, my, you know, my wife is Hispanic from Central America. Hispanic voters, you see swinging toward Republicans. Not Now, the Democrats are still getting a majority of the Hispanic vote, but not like they were before. In fact, you see double digits swing towards the GOP when it comes to Hispanic voters. And you see this to a degree with African-American men as well. But Hispanic voters... Just as a side note here, whether they voted for Democrats or they voted for Republicans, they have always been a very conservative group. The Republican Party never did try to reach out like they should have and figure out a way to reach Hispanic voters and to get their message across. 
but a Hispanic, your average Hispanic voter is, or Hispanic family is very traditional, socially conservative, hardworking people. They want the American dream. That's why they came here. They want the American dream. They want their children to do better than they do. And when the Hispanic voter sees things like CRT or the transgender movement in schools, the drag queen story hour, these types of things that it, it really, it's a turnoff to the, to most Hispanic voters. It really is. And, uh, or abortion. You go, if you were to go out and poll Hispanic voters, most, the vast majority of, of Hispanic voters in this country, very traditional would tell you abortion is bad. It's wrong. Republicans very much need to capitalize on this. There are some grassroots movements in the United States right now that are trying to reach out to these groups of different groups of voters. And we could include others, union workers that historically have voted Democrat. You see some of those trending the other way now. But the Republican Party, the GOP, really needs to make a concerted effort to prop up grassroots movements and pump money. You, you look at like the George Soroses, they go out and they find whatever you know, Facebook, Zuckerberg, Zuck votes or whatever the heck he was calling that and just throwing money into these organizations that are grassroots movements that were the ones that did all the ballot harvesting, 2000 mules, that type of stuff. The Democrats will, will put money on that. The Republicans won't. They like to control that war chest. The establishment, the Mitch McConnell's of the Republican party are very, very wary of grassroots movements for whatever reason. And I think it's because they can't control them. They did not really appreciate or like the Tea Party movement, for those of you who remember the Tea Party movement. And they don't like MAGA either. They can't control Donald Trump. They are wary of him. He's He doesn't play ball. For those who are all about power, that's a threat. But they really, we as conservatives need to do our part. And one area where you see a lot of success nationwide are on the school board elections. There are places where you had somebody who, members of school boards who are ultra leftists that have been voted off and replaced with school board members now who are going to be pro-parent, who are going to stick up for parent rights. So I'll tell you a little bit about my election here. I served uh, on a school board for 13 years. We live in a very small rural school district. I got on the board when my kids, about the time my kids started going to school out there, my oldest was on the board for thir uh, 13 years and decided to leave the board uh, for personal reasons. And there was one board member, we had a vacancy on the board, so we appointed somebody to take this seat on the school board. And as it turned out, that was a mistake. We appointed somebody to fill a vacancy that was um, an, an ultra leftist, Kool-Aid drinking leftist. And a you know, person who get, get got all of their information about anything from CNN or MSNBC and so forth. And a, a person who was just turned out to be not very good, not very nice. And, and when we got into COVID, our school district was the first school district to reopen under the strict guidelines that we have and have do everything we could and bring kids back onto campus in person. And this, this particular school board member opposed that tooth and nail and several other things. And so any, anyway, long story short, I decided to run. Uh, to get back on the school board, along with a couple of other incumbent candidates, um, to we decided we were going to try to unseat this particular person that we felt was wrong for the school and wrong for the board. And what what we did as starting two years ago 
Um, I went out it was shortly after I got off the board and realized that that was probably not the thing that I should have done. Went out and started canvassing, went door to door and talked with the voters. I tried to see every single person. And again, it is, like I said, a small rural school district. Tried to see every single person that I could and did that multiple times, just meeting people, talking with people, seeing people face to face and communicating with people about the school, about what my vision is for the school, listening to what they had to say. Then as the election approached and got closer, uh, the three candidates, we went out again. We went out, uh, personally, I went out several times, uh, my wife and I, and we visited with people. And it, that's how grassroots candidacies and campaigns should work. In fact, uh, some of uh, the other local elections here, the candidates who have done most well are candidates who've actually gone out and gone door to door and talked to people and see people. Now, as far as the, the voting went and how it how it's looking, well, we're in California, so they're going to count votes for a week after the election, and they'll count any vote that they receive that is postmarked by election day. And if there is no postmark or the postmark is mutilated and they can't read it, they will take if, if underneath your signature on the ballot, you put a date. And if it is dated by election day, they will count it. Um, but we are, we've reached a point now, those, the three of us running to, uh, to write the, sh you know, write the ship as it were in our school board are so far ahead that it, it's uh, looking like uh, the person we were seeking to unseat is not going to get enough votes to, to come close to catching up. The margin right now is it's, it's over 30% in our favor. So it's looking pretty good, although there, there will st still be some more vote counting, but you look at these these elections these local elections and and how people go out and they see people they meet people they talk to them and you look at what donald trump has done over the last two years and in his presidential election leading up to that in the 2016 election and leading up to these 22 uh, 2022 midterms that's exactly what he is doing on a national scale now granted people love to criticize him you say well he makes these rallies all about himself he gets up on stage and he you know, he says the same things all over. He says the same things over and over and over about the 2020 election and how it was robbed. Well, yeah, he can do that. Why not? Why shouldn't he say those things? The the man is campaigning. The man is campaigning to run in 2024, which is fine if he wants to. But at the same time, he is out there talking to people on a nationwide scale. He's doing what you do to win in a local election, and that is to get out and to see people and talk to the people, and he does it through these giant rallies that he has. And every time he holds one of these rallies, if you watch it, it's it's an all-day event. Now, you go to YouTube and look up Right Side Broadcasting, and they carry all of these things on their YouTube channel. And you can subscribe to Right, right Side Broadcasting, and, you, and you'll know when one of those is going to pop up. But there are people there on the ground several hours before. It's almost like a tailgate party atmosphere, and there are a lot of local... Uh, at least this last time around, a lot of local candidates or statewide candidates. And at the end, during the rally, Trump, he brings those people up on stage. You know, they will speak or he'll point them out in the crowd. This person, that person, you know, this person's running for sheriff or that, you know, this this candidate is, is running for state Senate or something like this and tries to prop up those candidates. Really, Trump did more than any other Republican leader in this last election cycle. To, to really try to make it a red wave and to try to lay all of the 
fault at his feet for things not working out like people wanted it to is absolutely misplaced and misguided in, in my opinion. Now, was it was everything Trump did perfect? No. Was every candidate he endorsed perfect? No. But the Republicans really do need to take a step back and, and look at what they're doing. And some of these heavy, heavy duty Republican donors need to take a step back and start looking, where are some grassroots movements where I can put my money? Where is somebody that's down in South Texas or down in Arizona, in Tucson, that is doing Hispanic outreach, Hispanics for or Latinos for Trump, for example, and consider donating money to legitimate groups that are going to take that and translate that into people on the ground, talking to people face to face, because that is how the Republicans are going to win in 2024. That's how you do it. Check out Year of the Rooster, first 72 hours on Amazon.com. It's available in Kindle format for $2.99 or for free if you have Kindle Unlimited $7.99 paperback version. Year of the Rooster is a novel of historical fiction about war between the United States and China. Far-fetched? Could China pursue global dominance via conflict? If one looks to human history for an answer to this question, the answer is yes. So far, all great empires were born of conflict. All great empires and nations have historically had to fight to maintain their place of dominance. What then would a conflict of this sort look like? How would it begin? The historical record is rife with instances of surprise attack. If you want to be scared out of your mind, take a look at Year of the Rooster, first 72 hours on Amazon.com. Well, it wouldn't be much fun if I didn't uh, take some time here and talk about the old man who lives in the White House and calls himself President of the United States when he can remember that's what his job is. Uh, let's go ahead and have some fun with Joe Biden here. Let me, but let's go ahead and do a flashback. Flashback to the only presidential debate of the 2020 election, which was something of a debacle. It was a dumpster fire slash train wreck uh, slash forest fire in the middle of a homeless camp from the very get-go. It was an ugly thing. But uh, here's an exchange from that debate. Perhaps you will remember this. Pay close attention to what Joe Biden says and what Donald Trump says in this little clip here. One final question. Would he close down the oil industry? Would you close down the oil industry? By the way, I would transition from the oil industry, yes. Oh, I will that's transition. It is a big statement that's a because big statement. I would stop. Why would you do that? Because the oil industry pollutes significantly. Oh, I see. And here's the deal. But that's you can't a big do statement. That. Well, if you let me finish the statement, because it has to be replaced by renewable energy over time, over time. And I'd stop giving to the oil industry. I'd stop giving them federal subsidies. He won't give federal subsidies to the to the gas. Excuse me, to the to uh, solar and wind. Yeah. Why are we giving it to oil industry? We actually do All give right. it to solar and wind. We and that's maybe the biggest question. statement in terms of business. That's the biggest statement. Okay. Because basically, what he's saying question, is he is Mr. going President. to destroy the oil industry. Okay. Will you remember that Texas? Will you okay. remember that Pennsylvania, Oklahoma? Vice President Biden, let me give you ten seconds to respond, Ohio. and then I have to get to the final question. Vice President Biden. He takes everything out of context, but the point is, look, we have to move toward a net zero emissions. 
The first place to do that by the year 2035 is in energy okay. production by 2050 totally. All right. One is he going to get China to do it? No, we're finished with is this. Is he we going to get China to do it? We have to move on to our final question. We have to move on to our final question. I'm going to rejoin Paris Accord and make oh. China abide by what they agreed to. Right. And there we have some prophetic statements from candidate Biden about what he is going to do to the fossil fuel industry because it is dirty and it pollutes. Yes, regurgitating his leftist talking points there the senile old man who has since occupied the oval orifice and indeed has declared open war on the fossil fuel industry in the united states uh, to the effect that gas prices are now around of one dollar actually over one dollar and 70 cents on average across the united states more expensive than it was before he took power this is hurting people but if they get it their way, if Joe Biden gets it his way by the year 2035, if not sooner, we will all be, though all of us except those who are in the circle of power will be living in mud huts and eating bugs and praying that the sun shines and that the wind blows so we can have enough electricity to turn on the daily propaganda broadcast and receive our marching orders. We'll own nothing and be happy, as uh, uh, Charles uh, Schwab said recently talking about this ESG and, uh, you know, we're going to fix the climate and so forth and a new type of uh, global economy. And Joe Biden is all on board for that. And this is part of the big plan. Let's talk about this. He has gone far down this road, way far down this road. But interestingly, over the leading up to this election, you heard him uh, change his tune a little bit. In fact, we have depleted the strategic oil reserve, not depleted completely, but significantly reduced the strategic oil reserve. Well, what's that? The strategic oil reserve is a reserve of petroleum uh, that is stored up uh, in different places in the United States to be used in cases of national emergency. Like, uh, let's say we have a war. Let's say uh, the Chinese decide to pull a December 7th, 1941 type attack on the United States or something like that. Heaven forbid we get drawn into global conflict or something. Something really bad happens. And the president has been releasing in a very gratuitous way Billion or millions of barrels of oil from the strategic oil reserve. And these are barrels of oil that were put in reserve. Trump, when he was president, uh, attempted to top it off at a time when oil companies were paying people to take delivery because it was a glut. You can't just turn off the spigot. You can't just turn off a pipeline. It's not, it's not that that easy once it's flowing. And so was able to, to fill the reserve and he's been releasing though, and it still hasn't done much good. Hasn't, uh, helped bring down the price too much. You add to that, add to that uh, other economic factors that have affected the price of oil. Um, there are other things that have affected, affected the price, uh, of course, um, increased demand globally as people come out of the pandemic, the war in Ukraine, but the price was up over a buck 50 a gallon before Vlad invaded Ukraine. And so you can't lay it all there. And it goes back to his policy and the funny thing is, well, it's not funny, it's actually pretty sick and disgusting, is he's out there demagoguing against the oil companies recently saying things like this. And by the way, by the way, you know, Putin's invasion of Ukraine sent gas prices soaring around the world. But because of the actions we've taken, gas prices are coming down. Here in America at home, they're down $1.25 since the summer peak of $5. And look, back in June, back in June, they were $5 average price across America. It's a difficult time across America. The country stepped up and did the right thing. But not everyone. 
I know we have a lot of leases out here in New Mexico for oil companies, and we haven't slowed them down at all. They should be drilling more than they're doing now. If they're drilling more, we'd have more, more relief at the pump. But the oil industry hasn't met their commitment to invest in America and support the American people. One by one, major oil companies reported their record profits this last quarter. So there we have the demagogue in chief who in 2020 said we're going to move away from fossil fuels and indeed has done everything he can to wage war on the fossil fuel industry, uh, saying that, quote, we haven't slowed them down at all. They should be drilling more than they are doing now. If they were drilling more, we'd have more relief at the pump. And then, of course, he blames Vladimir Putin. Well, of course, the price was up uh, nationwide on gasoline and diesel fuel way before Vlad invaded Ukraine. He has done everything in his administration, has done everything possible to decrease the production or to limit the production of fossil fuels in the United States. In the first place, they have under Biden, there have been fewer acres leased out of federally managed land leased out for oil and gas leases during the first two years than any other administration at the same point in time since the end of World War II, and this according to the Wall Street Journal. Let me repeat that. The Biden administration has leased out fewer federally managed acres for oil and gas drilling in his first two years than any other administration at the same point in time since the end of World War II. So virtually nil. Um, he also issued an executive order in uh, his first month in office in January 2021, freezing oil and gas leases. And it's this is a decision that's still being argued out in courts. He suspended oil production leases in the Arctic National Refuge after Donald Trump opened up. It's one of the largest oil reserves in the world. And Trump opened it up and then he, the, one of the first things he did was shut that off. He also immediately, when he took office, Biden ordered the halt to the Keystone XL pipeline, which had it been completed, would now be moving 830,000 barrels of crude oil from Canada to the United States daily. Oil companies, because of this, are less motivated to invest in long-term oil production. The president has said they're going to end fossil fuels. He has said to this industry, we are going to, your industry is going to end. You're done. Your industry is going to sunset by 2050, 2035, 2050. And they're moving toward that. No more, no more fossil fuels. And then he turns around and he says that they're making record profits. The price is up for oil. And they're choosing, he, he suggests that they're choosing not to drill for more oil, not to build more oil wells, not to increase production. It sounds like this man has never studied economics. Somebody, some, somebody, please, who's advising the president. I'm a high school economics teacher. I, I'm not an economist. I don't have a piece of paper saying that I'm an expert in economics. I don't claim to be. But I do know that the law of supply says that when the price goes up, that suppliers will increase the supply because there is a motivation to do that. And if they're not doing it, it is because of some external factor that will affect that. The law of demand says that the higher the price, the less the consumer will demand demand for something that is a necessity is going to be fairly constant. It may decrease a little bit or a lot, but there's going to be a constant demand. And in fact, globally, demand seems to be increasing. And there is a motivation here to increase production, but it's not happening. Why is it not happening? Well, it's not happening, Joe, because you're not allowing it to happen. 
You know, and then he goes on and he he turns around just a few days after he says this that oil companies are not drilling enough, and he has a Freudian slip at another campaign rally in Pennsylvania. Go ahead and take a listen here. We're the United States of America, and there's nothing, nothing beyond our capacity if we work together. So vote, get out the vote now. God bless you all, and may God protect our troops. Thank you, thank you, thank you. No more drilling. There is no more drilling. I haven't formed any new new drilling. No, I. That was before I was president. We're trying to work on that. Get that done. Thank you. So there you have Joe Biden at the end of this campaign rally. He spews out the couple of lines that he can actually remember and say over and over. He says he likes to say, uh, God bless our troops. And thank you. Thank you. Thank you. In addition to let's uh, tell the people to get out and vote and stuff like this. As he's doing this and the, the music starts rolling again at the end. And the person that is supposed to get him off the stage in the right direction is approaching from the side and trying to get his attention. So he doesn't walk the wrong way and get lost someplace. As that's happening, you have this climate alarmist uh, lunatic out in the crowd that starts heckling him about not doing enough to stop drilling for oil and that uh, his administration hasn't done enough for that. <laughs> Holy cow, that, that, that person's got some problems. But anyway, he actually pauses for a moment and he engages uh, this person and he says, no more drilling. There is no more drilling. And then you can't hear what the, you can barely hear what that person says. And they accuse him of allowing drilling in certain places. I think maybe like up in, I, I believe they say in the, the Arctic uh, uh, reserve or something, or maybe they, I, something like that. And he says, no, that was under Trump where we were trying to fix that. And so it's, I mean, he comes out and he says exactly the opposite of what he said just a few days before an absolute hypocrisy he says what everybody wants to hear he's a typical politician but this is a freudian slip he actually says the truth to somebody about what his intent is and he you know and he, he said it in the 2020 election in that debate with donald trump and trump said we remember that that's that's a huge admission there here we are and the next time you go get gas at the pump think about that this is a calculated a very very calculated attack on one of the most critically important, strategically important industries to the global economy and to the American economy and to the average consumer. Think about that. Everything that's on the, the shelf in the store got put there because it was delivered on a truck, a semi-truck or a train, a freight train that was powered by diesel fuel. Everybody in this, in this country just about gets in a vehicle that is powered by gasoline or diesel fuel to go to work every day. That's how our economy moves. Things are only going to get worse the farther we go down this, this road of climate lunacy. In addition to the Freudian slip, the president has, as usual, had a, a couple of senior moments, uh, Biden moments here, uh, that uh, we can go ahead and highlight here at the end of our show today. And let's go with uh, this one first. We're doing it for the first time now in the 21st century, going into the 20th, from the 20th century, going into the second quarter of the 21st century. 
that we'd say 12 years is enough? I think 12 years is enough in the, going into 20, 30, 40, 50? The president seems to have forgotten which century we live in. Uh, for his information, we happen to live in the 21st century. Uh, he says we're moving from the 20th century to the second quarter of the 21st century. And then he has uh, quite frequently has problems saying numbers or mentioning numbers. Um, and I believe this was at the uh, same Pennsylvania rally where he told the uh, that we just played here, where he, he tells the uh, climate nut that uh, we're not going to drill anymore. Well, here's another one for you. And this one is um, from another campaign rally. Uh, Biden was out there in a few different places. And uh, here we go. And of course. You got that next governor. What's his name? Wes, uh, Wes, uh, Wes Moore. And he's in uh, Maryland here at a campaign uh, stop for Wes Moore, who was running for governor of the state of Maryland. And he forgets the guy's name. He says, Wes, uh, uh, and he turns around. And it's not until he turns around and sees the people behind him holding up a sign that says Wes Moore that he's like, oh, yes, Wes Moore. And, and he went on to say this in that rally. Uh, which um, if a Republican candidate, Donald Trump, take your pick, somebody had, had said this, any take your pick of conservatives, said something like this, there would have been outrage and indignation. HBCUs don't have the endowments other have, but guess what? You're just as smart, you're just as bright, you're just as good as any college in America. The president who has a long track record of saying racially insensitive things or things that are just outright racist statements uh talking about hbcus which are historically black colleges and universities says to this crowd hbcus don't have the endowments that others have but guess what you're just as smart you're just as bright you're just as good really who's going to suggest otherwise joe seriously who's gonna why do you say this why would you it, you take this and you put these words into the mouth of take your pick of any conservative and they get called a racist but joe doesn't you know in 2019 out on the campaign trail he said, uh, quote, poor kids, uh, you remember this, poor kids are just as bright, just as smart, just as talented as white kids, something along these lines. Uh, he was out in, um, out in the Midwest when he said this, and he totally gets a pass on these things. If you recall in 2008, when uh, President uh, uh, Obama announced his uh, candidacy, and at the time, Joe was still in the Senate, and he said, quote, loose quotation here, something along the lines that it was uh, he would be a great candidate because he was a black man who was uh, uh, articulate. This part I know, clean and articulate, clean and articulate. Stuff like that is just it's you know racist and disgusting, and you put those words in anybody else's mouth, and they get called on it. You know, This is the same man who's out there spewing, you know, the hypocrite in chief, spewing out of his mouth that the conservatives are racist and he goes out there and he says things, uh, says things like this and, and totally gets a pass on it. So there you go. There's another uh, Joe uh, Biden highlight from the week. I've got another one here for you. And he, he forgets another key piece of information that he should know as president of the United States. But he, that's why we were defeated in 2018 when they tried to do, it. we went to 54 States. So he was at a campaign, uh, appearance a week or two ago in Washington state. And he says, talking about the 2018 midterm elections and said they went and campaigned in quote, 54 different states. And, and who forgets that there's 50 states? Really? Who forgets that? I don't forget that. My kid, my, my little kids who just, uh, you know, learned the third graders learned all 50 states and sang the 50 state song at the school assembly just a couple of days ago. 
uh, at the awards assembly or whatever it was that they're doing, they did a little song and dance, 50 States. They're not going to forget it. You know, this it's just scary. The things that this guy, he sounds tired. He, he wanders around the stage, says stupid things. It's, it's absolutely frightening that this man is in charge of the most powerful nation on planet earth. And uh, we'll go with, uh, I got a couple more here for you. So the president has been in Cambodia for a day or two at the Association of Southeast Asian Nations Summit. And in his comments, there's opening comments at this uh, summit. The president said this. Now uh, that we are back together here in Cambodia, I look forward to building uh, even stronger progress than we've already made. And I want to thank the prime minister for Colombia's leadership and the ASEAN's ASEAN chair. So the president there in Southeast Asia at the Association of Southeast Asian Nations Summit, which took place in Cambodia, and he thanks the, in his opening remarks, the prime minister of Colombia. In the first place, Colombia doesn't have a prime minister. They just selected a communist to be their new president. That's a topic for another day that's quite frightening uh, for people who live down there. Hopefully they don't go the way of Venezuela, but um, he did he really forget which continent he was on? I don't know. I They're both tropical countries, and he actually did that one other time at this uh, summit here, but it is quite frightening to have a president who misspeaks and has these Freudian slips or says things, that, and they're always having to clean up after him. His press secretary, uh, Jean-Pierre, she's always out there trying uh, trying her best to, which is uh, not saying very much there, but restate what he said or explain it or spin it in some sort of way. But the guy's a liability. He's a liability to his political party. Uh, over 60% of Democrats saying they don't want to see him run again. And most importantly, he's a liability to the free world. I mean, you get in a negotiation, engaging in diplomacy with a foreign leader, and you say the wrong thing, you have a slip, and you and you don't get a chance to go back and have your press secretary spin that later uh, for Fox News reporters to clean up after you. You don't get that chance. He's going to go meet with Xi Jinping, and that's a scary thought, honestly. That 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 is frightening to me that this guy is in charge and calling the shots. Uh, but we'll wrap it up with that today. Uh, hopefully, we'll be back sooner than later with a new episode and uh, interesting stories. Hopefully tell you guys some stories about some things that have gone on in my teaching and so forth and how this uh, election finally wraps up this uh, local election that I've been involved in. Thank you for listening. If you want to communicate with me, the way to do it is go find me on truth social. You, it's very easy to create an account. You can do it through your web browser. You don't have to download an app or anything like that. You can access it. Look up Smith talk on truth social. You can message me there until next time. <laughs>